This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Before we gather some laughs from the great Gildersleeve, let's delve into the realm of mystery, intrigue, and, well, just plain scary stuff. We start tonight with a visit to Skeleton Bay, a spooky story well-acted on the series Inner Sanctum. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present... Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, students of the mystic marvels of manifold murder. <laughs> this is your host. Extending a cordial invitation to step through the creaking door of the inner sanctum, where we probe deep into the dark and cavernous depths of men's souls to see what makes them kill. Mm -hmm. Our clinic here is the whole vast world of crime. And you who listen in may hear us dissect our characters at a safe distance. And unless your nerves are strong, you'd better take my advice and... Uh, Keep your distance. <laughs> Why, Mr. Host, that's not the kind of advice to give folks. It sounds unfriendly. Well, what would you suggest, Mary? Well, give them some sort of friendly advice. Like pointing out to them the extra delight they'll get from a cheering cup of Lipton tea. Then go on to tell them why Lipton's is so downright delicious. Tell them that the reason is Lipton's brisk flavor. And don't forget to mention that brisk is the tea expert's own word for the spirited, full-bodied flavor of Lipton's. So refreshing and so zestful. Explain that Lipton's brisk flavor is never flat, but always lively and satisfying. And in closing, remind them to try Lipton's soon, because in every cup of Lipton's there's extra enjoyment. Now that's the kind of advice you should give, folks. Well, Mary, you seem to have given it to them already. So we can go ahead and get launched on Skeleton Bay. That's the title of tonight's story. An original radio play by Emil Tepperman. It's about a lady novelist, a writer of mystery stories. It opens at a swanky hotel with private cabins situated on a storm-swept rock-bound coast. The story itself is all about... <laughs> you guessed it. Murder. Here's Betty Lou Gerson as Carola Winter, the lady novelist, who will give us a blow-by-blow -blow description. I'll tell you first about the night I met Michael Barrett. It was in August at Skeleton Bay. 
I'd come to the hotel supposedly for a rest. That was what I kept telling myself. But in reality, I didn't know why I'd come here. Skeleton I'd seen the name Skeleton advertised Bay. months ago. Since then, it kept hammering, hammering, hammering at the inside of my brain. Like the voice of implacable things commanding me. Commanding me. Commanding me. Because I didn't like crowds, the hotel manager had given me a cabin near the beach all to myself. It was the middle of the night, but I couldn't sleep. The wind came in from the ocean, howling like a hungry beast across the shoals. And the pounding of the surf mingled with the angry, baffled growl of the sea. I sat at the window in the dark, staring out at the beach. I was restless, excited. It was then I saw the signal. It was just a winking little light a few yards away on the beach. Someone was blinking a flashlight on and off, on and off. I was able to make out the figure of a man in boots and a leather jacket. He was signaling toward the hotel. But to whom? I had the answer in a moment. A man moved past my window, going down toward the light. He had his collar turned up against the wind. His hat brim pulled low. But I knew who it was. Mr. Field. A small, furtive man who'd come up on the train with me. The two men met. Barely a stone's throw from my window. I could hardly see them huddled closely together. This was excitement. Mystery, intrigue. The stimulation I wanted and needed. I had to know what was going on. I threw on a raincoat, opened the cabin door. The wind swept my hair in a streamer and the spray stung my face as I hurried down the beach. My blood began to race. My heart to pound. For those two men were not engaged in any conference. They were locked in struggle. It was a deadly silent struggle with only a grunt now and then. I saw the flashing gleam of a knife. I couldn't tell who had the weapon. The tall man in the leather jacket or the furtive Mr. Field. And then... Then I saw the blade plunge home into the throat of the furtive Mr. Field. I felt a sudden surge of wild elation. This was murder. I had witnessed murder. The tall man let the body of Mr. Field slide down to the sand. Then he looked up and saw me. He stood there with a bloody knife in his hand and we looked at each other. Who are you? I'm Carol Winter. I have this cabin here, number five. You saw me kill him? Yes, I saw you. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to help you dispose of the body. He told me his name was Michael Barrett. He lived on the opposite side of the bay in the house high up on the cliff. It won't be so easy to get rid of the body. If I had the boat, I could take him out and drop him over, but it's too rough tonight. If there was some place to hide him for a day, I could come across in the boat tomorrow night. You can hide him in the closet in my cabin. Nobody will look there. Better lock the closet door. Yes, of course. You sure nobody will come snooping here? Nobody comes here but the maid. All right. I'll be back tomorrow night with a boat. Did you pick up the knife? Yeah. Got it in my pocket. Well, I guess that's all. Good night, Carola. Good night, Michael. All night I sat up alone with the locked closet door between me and the staring, sightless body of Mr. Field. Mr. Field! 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 Mr. Field!
At breakfast the next morning, they'd already discovered the disappearance. And the maid says his bed wasn't slept in at all. Oh, Think he could have committed suicide in the ocean. He was such oh, a I hurried through my man. breakfast listening to the gossip all around me. Now, in broad daylight, I... Hardly believe the thing had really happened last night. You know, the hotel manager thinks it might be murder. I heard him phoning for the police. The police? I hadn't counted on that. Anything wrong, my dear? You look sick. I do feel a bit dizzy. I think I'll get some fresh air. Oh, poor dear. It must be quite a shock to her. She came up on the train with Mr. Field, you know. Out in the open air, I let the wind cool my fevered face as I hurried down toward the beach. It was only 9.30 in the morning. A whole day. A whole evening before Michael could come for the body. And the police would be around all day investigating, snooping. And all the time, Mr. Field would be sitting in my closet, staring blankly out of his sightless eyes. When I reached my cabin, I put a hand on the doorknob. Suddenly, I, I went cold all over. The door was unlocked. Stood still as a statue, listening. Yes. If there was someone inside. Someone moving around. I only had my handbag. I had a pistol in it. I always carried it for protection. But my handbag was inside on the dresser. Slowly. Slowly, I pressed the door open. Half inch. An inch. And then the door creaked. Is that you, Miss Winter? The maid... It was only the maid, of course. She'd be making up the bed. Why hadn't I thought of that? Miss Winter, is that you? Yes, it's I. What are you doing in that closet with those keys? Why, they're just my pass keys, Miss Winter. I was just going to tidy up the closet. I didn't ask you to do anything to the closet. Well, but that's part of the job, Miss Winter. I'm supposed to do that in all the rooms. Well, you leave this one alone. Keep away from that closet, do you hear? Yes, Miss Winter. But I was only trying to help. When I want your help. I'll ask for it. Now, please leave it once. Just as you say, Miss Whitney. I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. Did she suspect anything? I hadn't liked her tone. Why? Why had I been so sharp with her? Now she'd surely think there was something in the closet. Something she shouldn't see. lunchtime, I didn't want to leave the cabin. I sat at the window. And I could almost feel the sightless eyes of Mr. Field staring at me through the closet door. Someone at the door. Who? Who? Just a minute. Uh, Miss Winter? Miss Carola Winter? Yes, I'm Miss Winter. I'm sorry to trouble you, Miss Winter. I'm Detective Sergeant Smith from headquarters. Uh, may I come in for a moment? Well, yes, please do. What can I do for you, Sergeant Smith? Uh, we're out here investigating this field business. He uh, hasn't turned up yet. Well, I'm sure he will in time. Well, I wish I could be so sure, Miss Winter. What do you mean? We've gone through his room. Found some mighty queer things. Queer things? Yeah, it seems this Mr. Field's in some sort of racket. There's a good chance he may have been murdered. You don't say. I uh, understand you came up on the train with him. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah. Did you uh, have any conversation with him on the train? Mm, no, none at all. Uh, -huh. uh, 
You're the Carol of Winter who writes the mystery novels, aren't you? <laughs> the same. <laughs> I've read every one of them. They're darn good, Miss Winter. Why, thank you. Uh, do you think you'll get a plot out of this? Uh, I mean, Mr. Field. Why, uh, I can't tell yet. I wish you'd keep me posted on developments in case it does turn out to have a plot. Well, I sure will, Miss Winter. Uh, by the way, we found this picture among the papers in Field's room. I'm, I'm showing it to everybody around in case they might recognize it. It's an old newspaper item, about ten years old. Can't figure out why he was carrying it around. It's about a guy named Wycliffe. It's wanted for murder in Canada. Here, take a look at it. I felt the blood racing in my veins, pounding at my wrists. The picture of the man named Wycliffe, who was wanted for murder in Canada, was a picture of Michael Barrett. as if Michael Barrett is a lucky guy, with a beautiful woman ready to commit murder for him. Mm-hmm. But what'll he do when she runs out of victims and begins looking at him with a calculating eye? <laughs> as for Carola, she sinned heavily, because murder is the greatest sin. Yes, if you ask me, she'd better hope for a depression, then all wages will go down, including the wages of sin. <laughs> well, I... I never knew that murder and economics were related, Mr. Host. Oh, definitely, Mary. Take the high cost of living, for instance. Why, those prices are murder. <laughs> oh, yes, Mr. Host. It is difficult when the cost of living starts to climb. But then, so often, the things that really add up to good living are just simple, inexpensive pleasures. Like that piping hot cup of Lipton tea that many of us find waiting when we come down to breakfast each morning. As you read the morning paper and sip that cheery cup of Lipton's, the whole world seems brighter. It's simply wonderful the way that lively, spirited Lipton tea gets you off to a fresh start. For Lipton's brisk flavor gives you all the natural zest of tea at its best. Gives you extra delight, extra satisfaction. So remember this, folks. At breakfast time, dinner time, or any other time when you want a grand, refreshing drink, Pour yourself a cup of Lipton tea. And now, let's get back to the rock-bound coast of Skeleton Bay and see how Carola entertains the grisly guest in her closet. I don't remember now how I got rid of that Detective Smith. I, I told him I'd never seen the man in the picture and sent him away. The day was interminable. From my window, I could see the guests moving about the beach. But none of them went in swimming. The weather was too rough. I wondered if Michael would be able to bring the boat over tonight. If not, how much longer could I sit guard over Mr. Field in the closet? Now and then, I'd see Detective Smith poking around on the beach. And then, without warning, he was standing over the very spot where Michael had stabbed Mr. Field. I watched him bend down and examine something. Was there a telltale drop of blood there? Did Smith know that was the murder spot? I saw him frown. Then he stood up, walked quickly away. I had to know what it was he'd seen there. I slipped on a coat, went out. Started toward the spot on the beach. Oh, are you somewhere, oh. Miss Winter? Oh, it's you, Detective. Uh, going anywhere in particular? Uh, no, no, I'm just going up to the hotel for dinner. 
It's almost dinner time, you know. Oh, fine. I'll walk up with you if you don't mind. Not at all. Hey, can I help you? I'll take your arm there. Thank you. Sand is so soft. As it's still wet, we had high tide last night. Oh, uh, um, Miss Winter. Yes? You a sound sleeper? What? Why do you ask? Well, I just thought maybe you might have heard something last night. Like a fight or something. Fight? Yes, yes. I was just looking at the sand back there, down near your cabin. It's all messed up, stamped around. What's that got to do with me? Oh, nothing at all. Except I think there was a fight there last night. Maybe that's where Mr. Field was killed. You... You think Mr. Field was murdered? It's beginning to look more and more like it, Miss Winter. managed to get through with the dinner. I hurried back to the cabin. I stopped at the door, shocked and unbelieving. There was a light inside. Someone was in there. This time, I had my handbag with me. I took the pistol out. Once more, I inched the door open. It happened. The thing I feared. The closet door was open. And there was the maid. Stooping over the body of Mr. Field. What are you doing there? The body. It's Mr. Field. You killed him. Suppose I did. What are you doing with that gun? What do you think? No! The wind was high. And the weather was rough. Unfortunately, no one heard the shot. I pushed her body into the closet next to the body of Mr. Field and closed the door. Now, now I was a murderer, too. Who, who is it? Let me in, Carla, quick. Oh, yes, yes. Michael, I thought you weren't coming. It's been a terrible day. What happened? Come here, I'll show you. Is he still in there? <laughs> See for yourself. Great Scott, a woman. Who is she? The maid. She opened the closet while I was out. You killed her? Yes, Michael. I, I had to kill her. There are detectives at the hotel looking for Mr. Field. Mm. I suppose if I was smart, I'd kill you too. Then there'd be no one to talk. Yes, Michael, that would be smart. Go ahead. Kill me, if you can. I knew he couldn't kill me because I'd seen it in his eyes. We were two of a kind, both wild, both reckless, both eager for the thrill of danger. He, too, wanted to be like the wind. We'd both been brought together here by some force stronger than either of us. And we loved each other. Carla, darling. Michael. No more now, Michael. We have work to do. Yes. I'll take them down to the boat. I'll help you. We carried Mr. Field and the maid down to the boat. Uh, I'll take them out away and dump them. And after that, Michael... 
After that, then I'm going home. To your house on the cliff on the other side of the bay? Yes, Carola. Michael, take me with you. What? Take me with you to your house up there on the cliff. I'm sorry. I can't. You, you can't? Why can't you? There isn't anything I can tell you. What are you hiding up there in the house on the cliff? You mustn't ask. Please, Carola, you mustn't ask. Why, you're married. You have a wife up there. No. Then what? I can't tell you. But you... You're going away. Leaving me forever. Not forever, Carola. Go back to the city. I'll come to you soon. I returned to the city and waited. I waited a week, a month. But Michael Barrett did not come. I wrote to him, but there was no answer. And then one evening, I saw him. I was returning home in a taxi and I saw him, standing across the street looking up at my window. He saw me get out of the cab. He turned and started to hurry away. Michael! Michael! Michael, don't go away! Michael! Michael, why did you try to run away? Don't you know? Well, you're afraid. Yeah, let's call it that. But you love me, Michael, don't you? Carola, it's no good. There's nothing but ruin for both of us if I stay. We'll be together forever. It's impossible. I won't let you go back to that house on the cliff. I don't care what it is you're hiding up there. I won't let you go back. Goodbye, Carol. Wait. I'm going. Better forget about me. Don't go yet, Mr. Whitecliffe. So you know about that, too. I saw the old newspaper clipping Mr. Field carried. I see. Why are you looking at me like that? Do you know why I killed Mr. Field? Because it tried to blackmail me about that old murder. Michael, dear, I'm a good deal smarter than Mr. Field. You see, I write mystery novels. I know how to handle such things. What do you mean? Wouldn't do you any good to kill me. I've written out all about you. Your real name and about that old murder in Canada. Would be found if I should ever be killed. Oh. Michael, darling, I'm blackmailing you. There's only one thing I want from you. Your love. It shouldn't be so hard for you to meet. My turns. All right, Carla. You win. We'll be married tonight. Soon after we were married, Michael began going out evenings. Once, sometimes twice a week. Staying out all night. He'd return late the next day. When I asked where he'd been, his temper would flare up into something terrible. I stopped asking couldn't rest. I had to know where he went. One evening, I followed him. He boarded a train for Skeleton Bay. At Skeleton Bay, he set out to walk from the station. And I followed him. It was no longer summer. Trees were bare and the night was forbidding kept behind him when he skirted the bay to the narrow road that led up toward his house high on the cliff. It was a small stone house, and the wind whistled around it, against it, and above it. I stole to one of the windows. It was barred, like a prison. Carefully, I raised my head above the sill, 
disappeared into a lighted room. Michael was there with a woman. For the first time in my life, I knew the meaning of frustration, jealousy. Michael told me he wasn't married, but this woman, I'd helped him to do murder. I'd killed for him. I'd lied to that detective for him. And all the while, this was the secret he'd been keeping from me. I opened my handbag. I took out the pistol. I looked into the room again. The woman was alone now. Michael was gone. So you came <gasps> up after all, Carola. Michael, you, you sneaked out. You knew I was here. I'm sorry you saw through that window, Carola. Is that your secret? That woman? Part of it, but it's the part you mustn't know. But I do know it now. That's why I've got to kill you, Carola. That knife. You've still got that knife. Yes, Carol. Well, I've got this, Mike. Ah! He fell at my feet. And I looked down and watched him die. Now I knew why I'd really come to Skeleton Bay that first day. It was for this. To kill Michael Barrett. So he's dead. <laughs> at last. You've killed him. You, the woman in the house, you, you saw me kill him? Yes, I saw you. What are you going to do about it? Help you dispose of the body, of course. Help me dispose of the body? Those were the very words I'd said to Michael Barrett down there on the beach. Now this woman was saying them to me. Who, who are you? I'm Lisbeth Wycliffe. I'm Michael's sister. Sister? And you want to help me dispose of his body? See the bars on those windows? Yes. I've been a prisoner in this house for ten years. You what? Michael killed the man I was going to marry ten years ago in Canada. He murdered him. But, but this house, this prison... Michael brought me here. He's kept me a prisoner... Because he knew if I got free, I'd tell the world he was a murderer. That's the secret. The secret he wouldn't even tell me. I shot her. Yes, I killed her too. There outside the house and she fell beside Michael. And I rolled both bodies over the cliff. Down into the sea. This is the end of my book. The best mystery novel I've ever written. I know that in writing it, I deliver myself into the hands of the law. But I can't stop. I can't help myself. So now, I'm finished. I will mail it to my publisher and wait for Detective Sergeant Smith to come and get me. Well, it looks as if Carola's mystery novel will earn a lot of money after she's executed. Yes, but I'd say it's tainted money. Hmm? Why tainted? Because she'll be dead and a ghost can't own money. So taint hers. <laughs> the trouble with Carola was that her conscience was too little and too late. 
It told her not to commit murder after she'd done it. Well, that's certainly too late, Mr. Host. Oh, yes, Mary, especially for her victims. And now, what's on your mind? Well, Mr. Host, right here, I'd like to say a word to our listeners on behalf of our veterans. You know, friends, ex-servicemen are returning to civilian jobs with a lot to offer their employers. They've had valuable training and experience in highly specialized service jobs. Many of them were able to keep up with their civilian jobs and learn new trades through special correspondence courses. And they're coming home fully equipped to do the same fine job as civilians that they did in the services. So let's give them every employment opportunity to put their increased skill to work. And so, friends, we take our leave of lovely Carola Winter. She would have been better off if she'd remembered that the pen is mightier than the sword. Because the sword is leading her right back to the pen anyhow. (laughs) Oh, yes, and remember, friends, when you go on a vacation, always insist on plenty of closet space. Yes, you never know what unexpected guests might drop in or drop dead. By the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Death in the Limelight by A.E. Martin. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup will bring you another Inner Sanctum mystery directed by Hyman Brown. It's about a young chemist who discovers the secret of perpetual life. But he made the mistake of getting involved with death. (laughs) So, until next Tuesday... Good night. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) Here's a swell dish, folks, that's easy to make and mighty easy to take. Lipton's noodle soup. You can prepare it in a jiffy, and the whole family will love its delicious chickeny-tasting broth so full of tender golden noodles. Lipton's noodle soup has all the fresh-cooked, homemade flavor of grandmother's noodle soup. Yet it's economical. It costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. So get Lipton's noodle soup mix tomorrow. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Harold Perry had such a unique voice, and that laugh. Well, we're all set to join the family as they try to set Gildy up in the romance department, no less. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Peary as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson.
now let's visit our friend, the great Gildersleeve, who's been long noted for his easygoing disposition. In fact, his disposition was so easygoing, it finally went. Uncle Mort's face has been getting longer and his temper shorter, and he's starting to throw his weight around with unpleasant results everywhere it's landed. Oh, my goodness, Marjorie. I'm late to the office again. Oh, good morning, Uncle Mort. Hey, good morning. All right, I'm, am I supposed to starve around here? Where's breakfast? Bertie, breakfast. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, what do you start off with? Grapefruit, cantaloupe, strawberries, orange juice. What's the trouble? Don't the stores still sell prunes? Oh, I thought you were sick and tired of prunes. Whatever gave you that idea? Oh, yesterday morning you flung yourself out of the house saying you're fed up, and I asked Leroy what the trouble was, and he says you're full of prunes. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me, folks. i got to hurry to school. Yeah, come back hey. here, young man. School doesn't begin again until next September. Just my luck. Oh, <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> now, Uncle, why don't you sit down and eat the nice egg Bertie's fried for you? That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Bertie, what is this, a fried egg or the stopper out of the kitchen sink? It's an egg, Mr. Gillsleeve, and it was cooked It better. wasn't cooked, Bertie. It was vulcanized. <laughs> I give up. Just wrap it up, and on my way downtown, I'll drop it on a scrap rubber pile. <laughs> By George, I'd like to slap a Jap in the map with this scrap. <laughs> and there's going to be a war in this house, unless I start getting fed properly around here. My, my, he's worse today than he was yesterday when he poured the coffee in his lap and then spilled the cream on his vest, thus dissolving the sugar in his pocket. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what's wrong with Uncle lately. He's been as jumpy as a kangaroo on a pogo stick. Yes. Poor Uncle Mort. You mean poor us? We're the one he's doing his jumping on. You know, I think I have an idea what's troubling him. Gee, what is it, sis? Uncle Mort hasn't any love life. Oh, for corn's sake. Be serious, can't you, Marge? But I am serious. If he could only get excited about some woman, it might calm him down. Oh, you mean he ought to give unto himself a wife? What does he want a wife for? He's got Marge to sew on his buttons and you to cook for him and Judge Hooker to fight with. What more could a guy want? <laughs> I don't necessarily mean a wife, Leroy, but some attractive woman he could get interested in. And he wouldn't have time to be irritable or critical. At least we could experiment. Okay. But who will we get to turn on the glamour? Well, how about Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell? Nope. Her face has had too many retreads. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what do you say to Miss Rosita Callahan? Oh, she's got a pen like a rabbit. Now, wait a minute, brother. Who's going to fall in love with this girl, you or Uncle Mort? Well, gee, I was just giving you a man's viewpoint. Well, who would you pick up? What about Amelia Hooker? Judge Hooker's sister? Sure. She's awfully nice and jolly, and she makes the swellest cakes and candy. Yes. She's a high school teacher. Is that so? What does she teach? Oh, she teaches girls domestic silence. <laughs> Gee, this will be a cinch. I don't know about that. You can't make a silk purse in a pig's eye. <laughs> now, building up a romance for your uncle Mort ain't gonna be no picnic. Picnic? That's it. We'll have a picnic on Sunday and invite Judge Hooker and his sister. Uh-huh, and I'll make some of my famous potato salad. That ought to bring Judge Hooker. And I'll ask Amelia to bake one of her luscious cakes. That should bring uncle. Yeah, and it'll probably bring all the ants, too. <laughs> No, my 
Bigsby, this is Sunday, the day I rest my feet. I refuse to go on your picnic. But why not, Uncle Mort? Well, you've heard about nature lovers, haven't you? Of course. Well, I'm a nature hater. <laughs> Rocks, skunks, snakes, bees, swamps, mosquitoes. You can take all of them and give them back to the Boy Scouts and tell them to give them back to the Indians. Oh, but Uncle Mort, think of all the fun we'll have at Underwood Falls. It, what fun? Grinding the rubber off our tires? No, we're saving rubber. We're taking the excursion train. We? If, who all's going on this pickle and potato salad promenade? <laughs> well, there's Leroy and me and Judge Hooker and his sister. Judge Hooker, yeah. Is Amelia Hooker going too? Mm-hmm. And she's baked the most delicious devil food cake. For you, incidentally. For me? But why devil's food? <laughs> I guess it's because she thinks you're such a handsome devil. Yeah, handsome devil. Who, me? Oh, no. <laughs> oh Uncle Mort, that's the first time you've laughed in a week. Huh? Now, come on along. You'll have fun. Marjorie, I told you how I feel about picnics. Well, strange how Amelia thought you were an outdoor man. She said that you remind her of... <laughs> Gary Cooper. <laughs> What's so funny about that? Amelia's entitled to her opinion. <laughs> Gary Cooper, eh? Gosh, I don't know what to say. It, hmm. Gary Cooper, huh? Well, I don't know. Oh, why don't you join us, Uncle? We're leaving on the 10 o'clock. Gary Cooper, huh? It, excuse me, partner. Would you mind stepping away from that there mirror? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Oh, I see what she means by Gary Cooper. Amelia was talking about the wide open spaces. <laughs> oh, my. Isn't this beautiful? Mighty pretty country hereabouts, ma'am. The air is so fine and clear. <laughs> yes. You just say the word, Miss Amelia, and I'll climb that var tree and bring you down some eagle eggs. Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, then, can I fetch you some more uh, tater salad? Oh, no, not another thing, Mr. Gildersleeve. Now, Miss Amelia, no need to be formal. Just call me Throckmorton. <laughs> All right, Throckmorton. Sounds mighty like music hearing you say it, ma'am. Uh, mind if I sit alongside you here? Uh, no. Oh, no, but... that's all right. Don't move. <clears throat> Yeah. Excuse me, Miss Amelia, but where boss did you put that devil's food cake? Well, I put it right where you... Never mind. Marjorie, have you got a nice wet cloth? Oh, Rockmorton, what a shame. Yeah, that was a darn good cake. Why can't you be more careful where you put your circumference, you big, you big pudding punch? Now, Horace Hooker, stop insulting Throckmorton. Oh, I don't mind. Come, Miss Amelia. Let's wander down to the pond and look at the water lilies. Be careful, Amelia. Don't let the big bullfrog sit on the lily pad. <laughs> Why, that little uh, uh, joker. Oh, look. Aren't they pretty? Would you like some? I'll wait out and get them for you. Oh, no, Throckmorton. You'll get your shoes wet. Oh, no, I won't. I'll just take them off, and my socks, and roll up my trousers. Now, be careful, Uncle Lord. Yeah, don't worry. Ooh, the water's cold, isn't it? <laughs> no, Daniel Boone, it's just your feet that are cold. I'll show you, Hooker. In just a second, Amelia. I'll have your bouquet in just a... Oh! <laughs> 
frog in his throat. <laughs> Look, his Panama hat's come to the surface. It's drifting away. That's all right. He's probably weaving another one underwater. <laughs> oh, here he comes. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> Who put that hole there? <laughs> oh, my goodness, I've ruined all my cigars. We'll help him out, Horace. Look at the big flounder flounder. <laughs> Here, Gildy, take my hand. Yeah, thanks. Is it very wet in there? <laughs> oh, no, Judge. Come on in. The water's fine. Hey, let go. Ooh. <laughs> Look at me, I'm a mess. Yeah, you haven't changed a bit, Judge. Here's your watch, Junk. Cheapers, look at the time. Oh, it's almost time for our train. And the station's a mile away. Oh, gather up the picnic things, Leroy. Uh, where's your coat, Throckmorton? Coat? I hung it on a limb of a tree while we were playing baseball. Oh, yes, there it is. Well, I'll get it for you. Then we must hurry up. Oh. What's the matter, Amelia? Look, a bird. It's building a nest in your coat pocket. What's that? <laughs> Let me see. Oh, uh, look, everybody, a bird's building its nest in my coat pocket. Oh, uh, how sweet. Well, what a pity we have to dispossess her after all her work. Well, what are we supposed to be, the FHA? <laughs> Shoo her away and let's get going. Oh, Horace, you're too cruel. I am not. Well, what are you going to do, leave your coat here? Yes, by George, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But Uncle, you'll catch cold. No, I won't, my dear. The memory of that little mother bird's gratitude will keep me warm. Gee, Unc, that's the only bird in the country with a double-breasted bungalow. <laughs> All right, Sir Walter Galahad, come on or we miss the train. Help me with our stuff, Amelia. Yes, yes, coming, Horace. Uh, that was a very sweet gesture, Scott Morton. I, I like that very much. Now, now, Amelia, it's nothing that Gary Cooper wouldn't have done. Can you carry the big basket on? Yeah, sure. Jesus, why are you leaving your coat here? Well, my boy, in the first place, it's made a wonderful impression on Amelia. In the second place, the rest of the suit was ruined anyway. And in the third place, that bird that was building the nest was a woodpecker. And I never argue with woodpeckers in the first place. like mumps and measles hits awfully hard when it hits late in life, and Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve has it bad. For the past week, Uncle Mort has been wooing and wowing Amelia Hooker. It's reached the stage where he's writing poetry. Now we find the Summerfield Shelley reciting a sonnet written especially for the fair Amelia. If this were in the days of old, and I a knight so brave and bold, I'd storm your castle, Miss Amelia, and on my charger I would steal you. <laughs> you like that one? Oh, undubitably, Mr. Gilson. Yeah, thanks, Bertie. Or do you think she'd like this one better? <clears throat> Two eyes are blue, cheeks soft as silk, a skin as white as grade A milk, a neck as graceful as a swan, a step as dainty as a fawn. The girl I mean is quite a looker. Her name is Miss Amelia Hooker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Gilson, it's hard to choose between the two of them. You sure is some versatile. 
Do you mean versifier? No, sir. On account of that hot poetry you write. <laughs> I bet you could get a job poetizing greeting cards. Oh, I suppose I could, but I don't want to lose my immature standing. <laughs> Incidentally, Bertie, don't mention a word about this to anybody, will you please? Oh, no, sir. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction, because I'm going to take Miss Amelia for a stroll through the park tonight and read her 15 or 20 of the poems I've written. <laughs> There's going to be a wee fiddle moon. <laughs> Hello? Is anybody home? Uh, On account of the fellow she's calling on me tonight is such a drip. Come on, Mr. Gildersleeve. How's the big romance between you and Amelia coming along? What are you referring to, Dottie? Oh, I heard all about your big moment. It's all over town like a newspaper and I win. Where did you hear this rumor? Well, the operator at the beauty parlor told me, and she had it from one of her customers whose sister-in-law has a maid that works next door to the judge's law clerk, and she got it straight out of Erskine Stars' column in the afternoon paper. It what? Mm-hmm. It said, what big businessman, size 48 stub, is, is that way about the charming sister of a prominent jurist? It looks like a romance of April and November. Oh, What are you thinking about, Throckmorton? Those crickets, Amelia. Listen to them. It's hard to believe that they can do that just by rubbing their hind legs together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Is that what you were really thinking about? No, Amelia. I was thinking of your lips. Like twin petals of a dewy rose. They, they... Amelia, there's something I must ask you. Yes. Would you give me a... Yes. Would you... If you got a match, my cigar's gone out. Oh, really, Morton? you shouldn't smoke so much. I know it, but when I look at you, my heart's on fire, and I just can't help smoking a little bit. <laughs> Incidentally, Amelia, I wrote a poem this afternoon. Would you like to hear it? Oh, yes, I'd be glad to. All right, it goes something like this. If this were in the days of old, and I a knight so brave and bold... If, well, what do you want? Excuse me, buddy, but have you got a dime? No, beat it. Can't you see I'm busy? Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you were engaged. We're not engaged. We're just good friends. Go on, scram. But all I asked for was a dime. Uh, Amelia, do you happen to have change for a quarter? Oh, no. No, I don't want a dime. I want the dime. Uh, Throckmorton, I think the gentleman has a cold and is asking for the time. Yeah, that's it. Oh, excuse me. Let's see. It's in 942. Thank you, Throckmorton. 942, huh? That means I've got plenty of time. Mind if I sit here for a few minutes? No, you can have the whole bench. I'm a wet here anyway. Come on, Amelia. Let's stroll across the grass. I still think he's trying to borrow a dime. Oh, now let's forget everything else. It's a grand night for a walk, and uh, you were starting to recite a poem. Oh, yes, but I had such bad luck with the last one. I think I'll try another verse. <laughs> Since I met you, I've lost all care. I feel like I'm walking on the air. You're not walking on the air, mister. You're walking on the grass. So what? I'm a park policeman, seeing it's against the law to trample on the turf, lounge on the lawn, or gamble on the green. Who's gambling? Oh, now, officer, it was purely unintentional. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, I didn't see you, girlie. Well, run along, and from now on, try to keep your father on the straight and narrow path. <laughs> oh, boy, that flat-headed flatfoot. Why can't people let people own when people are trying to recite poetry to people? Oh, come on off the grass, Throckmorton, and do let me hear your poem. Yeah, all right, Amelia. I'll try another one. Let me see. 
Oh, yes. It, two eyes are blue, cheeks soft as silk, a skin as white as grade A milk. Well, well, well. Fancy meeting you two in the park. I wonder if Shakespeare had to go through what I have to go through. <laughs> Good evening, Horace. Well, go on with your conversation, Gildy. Don't let me interrupt you. Oh, what's the use? If you'll excuse me, Amelia, I'll run along home now. Oh, but Throckmorton, I wanted to hear the rest of the... Uh, you know. Uh, I know. I'm going to lock myself in my room and telephone it to you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Never felt better, my dear. Why are you making those painful noises? I'm practicing some singing exercises. Don't tell anybody, but tonight I'm going to serenade Honey Bun. Uh, I mean, Miss Hooker. <laughs> You've certainly been in there pitching the woo, Uncle. Uh, pitching the what? The woo, stringing a line, making with a heart throb. It, if you're referring to my tender passion for Miss Hooker, Marjorie, yes, I've been giving Cupid the jive. <laughs> <laughs> How's everything going? Not so well. Last night I hit a snag. You did? Uh-huh. The snag's name was Judge Hooker. You didn't actually hit him, did you, Uncle Moore? If I didn't, then why is my mandolin all caved in? <laughs> I smacked him right in the middle of his veranda. But, but why, Uncle Moore? Well, he made a big fuss just because I was strumming a few tunes to Amelia. Not that it was very late at night. Couldn't have been much later than three. <laughs> and he came barging out of the house in his nightgown, demanding that I hand over my mandolin. He kept yelling, give it to me, give it to me. So I finally did. You shouldn't have done that, Uncle. I know it. Now he's refused to let me visit his sister. Reminds you of Romeo and Juliet, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But if the judge has forbidden you to see Amelia, how are you going to serenade her? Well, tonight's his lodge night. He belongs to the Summerfield's Nest of the International Order of Hood Owls. <laughs> In fact, he's the Grand Screech. <laughs> So he should be gone by 8 o'clock. Well, have you phoned to see if Amelia will be home tonight? No, every time I call up, Hooker answers the phone. I'm going to try it again right now. Maybe he's gone out somewhere. But suppose he hasn't. Oh, I've got a scheme. I'll disguise my voice so he won't recognize me. Hello? Uh, hello? Uh, what number is it, please? Judge Hooker's residence. Oh, Georgia Hooky president, huh? <laughs> no, this is Judge Horace Hooker. Oh, you hooking horsey, huh? No good. No, no, no. This is Judge Hooker. Now, who's this? You, George Hooky. See me, Sammy. No, no. Who are you? Oh, me know that long time. <laughs> What's your name and what do you want? Uh, me, Lily. Only Lily Henley. No, thanks. We wash our own hands. <laughs> oh, for corn shake. I said very smelly. What are you calling about? Missy Hooky. She home, huh? No, she isn't. Is there any message I can take? No, Judge, just skip it. Gildersleeve! <laughs> now what are you going to do, Uncle Moore? I don't give up very easily, Marjorie. Remember, love laughs at locksmiths and jeers at jugheads like the judge. I'm going to send Amelia a box of candy with a message inside. I read that someplace. That should do the trick. Hey, Bertie! Were you calling me, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes, Bertie. Are you finished with the dishes yet? I've done the dunking, but the wiping is waiting. I want you to take a package over to Miss Amelia for me. Smuggle it in so her brother doesn't find it, see? Now, do you think you can act as Cupid's messenger in this case? Oh, certainly, Mr. Gillsleeve. I'm the cupidest messenger in town. <laughs> hey, Judge, hurry. We'll be late to the meeting. I'm coming, Ralph. 
After all, they can't start until the Grand Street arrives. No, but if you're late, they're liable to elect a new one before you get there. Oh, they couldn't do that. Oh, no. If I remember correctly, that's how you were elected. Yeah, but the first thing I did was to change that rule. Yeah, well, hop in. Wait a second. Someone's coming to the house, I think. Oh, hello, Bertie. Oh, hello, Judge. What have you got there? Something for me? Uh, no, no, sir. Then no, it must sir. be for Miss Amelia. Yeah, that's it. It's for Miss Amelia. Fine. Just give it to me and I'll take it into her. But I've had strict instructions to put it right in my own hand. Well, she's upstairs and there's no use making her come down to answer the door. I'll take it. I don't know whether that's right for me to do it. Well, just give me one reason why not. Okay, I'll give you a reason, but I have to go home to get it. Fine. <laughs> now, just a second. There's no use you lugging that package all the way home and then back here again. Just leave it with me until you come back. All right, forget this. Thanks, Bertie. I'll take good care of it. That's mighty considerate of you, Judge. <laughs> hey, what's the idea? That's Gildersleeve's cook. I've forbidden him to see my sister, and dollars to donuts, this package is something he sent her. What are you doing? Foiling Big Gildersleeve. <laughs> well, 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 chocolates. Huh. Have some, Ralph. Hey. Oh, look, a note. Let me see. Listen to this. Dearest darling Moonflower, I phoned and called to see you all day long. Ah, but in vain. And who has so cruelly kept us apart? Your brother, the little tinker. <laughs> Something's wrong with the S on his typewriter. <laughs> Tonight, when old Sourpuss is playing hoodow, I'll glide beneath your window and let the golden notes of song pour out of my throat. Your fluffums wuffums. <laughs> say, Judge, what are you going to do? First, we're going to finish eating this candy. Then I'm going to get Amelia out of the house on some pretext or other. Then you and I are going upstairs and fill every pot, pitcher, and bucket in the house with water. Why? Well, when fluffums wuffums pours the golden notes of song out of his throat, we're going to pour the water out of the window. For goodness sakes, quiet, you musicians. This is supposed to be a serenade, not a stampede. Yeah, quiet, fellas. Yeah. Now, you boys hide in the bushes while I tiptoe up in the porch. You get it? And I'll let you know when I'm ready. Okay, Mr. Gildersleeve. Come on, boys. Yeah. Now, take it easy and be quiet, boys. Ah, Amelia, light of my life, list to my song of love. Just a little love, a little tea. Just an hour that holds a world of bliss. Eyes that tremble like the stars above. And the little Here in the porch swing all the time. Yeah. yeah, but you got the whole band. We're all doused. Amateur, you fellas, glad to make all that noise. Oh, by the way, Hooker, that's the policeman's band. What? Fix yourself up pretty, Judge. You're about to have visitors. I don't care. 
At least my sister never got to hear you. Oh, no? Who do you think this is sitting in the porch swing with me? Rudy Valley? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been our last broadcast before our summer vacation. Before we go, I'd like to express my sincere appreciation to the Kraft Cheese Company for a most pleasant year. Also, my deep thanks to our writer, Leonard Levinson, and to the members of the cast for their able assistance. Walter Tetley, who plays Leroy, my nephew, Lorreen Tuttle, my niece, Marjorie, Lillian Randolph, who's Bertie, Earl Ross as Judge Hooker, Paula Winslow as Dottie Dobson, and William Randolph Mills, our musical director, and Cecil Underwood, our producer. I am proud to announce that during the eight weeks we'll be off the air, the United States government will take over our half hour to bring you the Victory Parade. Each of the top NBC shows is contributing one program to this series, so be sure to listen in. I hope you all have a pleasant summer, and now, good night. <laughs> program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to tune in again August 30th at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Bickersons, followed by X-1. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.